typically have topical sermons or searing sermons, but for today, and just today, we're going to step away from the book of Genesis. We're going to try to look at what biblical fatherhood looks like, and then we'll step back in with Genesis next week. Fair enough? All right, so when I was starting you know, the last couple of weeks, uh, where do I even want to start? Uh, where do we want to go with this? How do I want to try to define biblical fatherhood? Where, where can we look at? The one thing that kept coming back to me that I knew for sure I didn't want to do, you know, regardless of what we said, the one thing I knew for sure, I didn't want dads to walk away from today discouraged or condemned or feeling like you've had somebody wagging their finger in your face for 30 minutes. That's not what I wanted. And actually, it reminded me of a story and I'll tell this, and Beth knows I'm going to tell this story, so I won't be in trouble. You can, you can ask her about it later. But a couple of years ago, Beth and her mom were actually talking about my dad, which, side note, we would be better fitted if he was here today because he is amazing. He was a great dad. He's an even better granddad. He's incredibly patient. He's kind. He's generous. Anyway, he had done something for our family. I can't even remember what it was. And so Beth and her mom were having a conversation about it, right? And they were talking about, man... Can you believe what Bubba did? He's just so kind. He's so patient. And so I was in the room. I wasn't really an active participant of the conversation, but I was aware of what's going on. So I hear them say my dad's name. So my ears perk up, right? And I think, yeah, you're right. He's pretty awesome. I like him. Uh, He's great. And so the story doesn't stop there. The conversation goes on, and Beth says, oh, I know. He's great. I mean, just his presence is like a breath of fresh air. Um, like our kids are truly blessed just to have him in their lives. And at that point, I'm like, okay, uh, I still agree. He's great, and I love him. Uh, and then she says, he goes even further, and she says, I mean, you know, it's not just such a blessing that he's in their lives because so many kids grow up without that type of uh, mentor role, without that type of man in their lives. And so at this point, I'm like, okay, hang on a second. I'm sitting right here. I can hear everything you're saying, Right? It's true, he's awesome, but I hear you, you know. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. I didn't, I didn't mean that you aren't a great dad, right? And she didn't. She's incredibly supportive. She's loving. She's awesome, all right? And while she wasn't trying to condemn me and make me feel bad, that's definitely how I don't want to leave today. I don't want to walk away. So if that's not where we want to go, the next question is, well, what do we want to look, like, look at? If we're going to define what it, what it would mean to be fathers in our home uh, from a biblical standpoint. In order to do that, I, I looked at a lot of different ideas, and I, I landed on four ways in which I think we could meet needs in our home as dads. And that's to know our families well, to feed our families, to protect our families, or to lead our families and to protect our families. Now, to be honest, those four topics, knowing, feeding, leading, and protecting, those were actually stolen by me uh, during a lunch conversation with Troy about a month ago. And before I could steal them, he actually stole them from a book. Um, the book was written by Thomas Whitner. It's called Shepherd Leader. Now, in case you're, as a dad, you're wanting to get a head start and read ahead, and maybe get some bonus dad points, this book is not at all about fatherhood. It's not written to fathers. It's not talking about fathers. It's actually written to elders. And it's outlining the roles of how the elders are supposed to shepherd the church. And these four basic needs that exist in the church, the need to be known, the need to be fed, the need to be led, and the need for protection, these are the ways in which the elders should love the church. And the more I thought about that, I decided, you know, if we're going to talk about biblical fatherhood, how great would it be for us to say, 
Why don't we mirror that same relationship of elder to the church to father in the home? Right? So that's what we want to talk about. Your next question might be, why do we even need to do that? And that's a valid question. Because if we're saying, hey, this is what the shepherds are called to do. This is what they must do for our church. You would be right in saying, some of you, well, I'm not an, I'm not an elder. Why should I do that? I'm not an elder either. And most of you aren't. To answer that question, I want to look at a, a small passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Okay, It might be on the screen. There it is, on the screen. Two verses, 13 and 14. It's at the end of this book. It's at the end of the last chapter. And before we read it, just to get a little bit of context of what's going on in the church of Corinth. Okay, So Paul plants this church. He spends about a year in Corinth. He ministers to them. He knows them. He spends time with them. He tells them the truth. Right? But then he has to leave. He continues on his missionary journey. He gets word of what's going on in Corinth. And uh, by the way, it's not good. Read the other 15 chapters of all the things he has to address. Right? But as he's wrapping up his letter, this is the message he leaves. And, and keep in mind, this message, this is not to the pastor. This is not to the elder. This is not to the church planner. But he's just got done telling the church in Corinth, hey, I realize you have unmet needs. I realize there are problems, there are issues, and I'm coming. In fact, before these verses, he said, hey, there are other church planners. There are other leaders, Apollos and Timothy. They wanted to come to you, but they couldn't. They haven't been able to come yet. I know there are active needs in your church. I know you need to be known. You need to be led. You need to be fed. And I promise I'm coming, and I'm going to do that. But until I do, here's my message just for everybody else in the church. Right? Not the elders, not the teachers, the leaders, just the common folks in the church. Here's my message for you. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all you do be done in love. So dudes, what does that have to do with us? Just in the same way that there was this void in Corinth, there was a point at which all of Paul's work That ministry had an ending point where it could reach only so far and there was still this void where unmet needs existed. And Paul's message was to all the men in Corinth, hey, I'm asking you, fill in the void. Don't let these needs go unmet. Dads, the same thing is true in our homes today. It's true in our homes today. If your kids are here right now, they're probably listening to the Gospel Project. If your older kids are here, They've worshipped through the truth in song. Each week, Tyler and Troy are faithful to deliver the word. But in all of those things, all of those good works, all of that ministry, in your home, there still will be a point at which it can only reach so far. And there will still be unmet needs in your home. And so my question is, just like the men in Corinth where Paul says, hey, are you willing to stand in and fill this void? I'm saying as dads, will we stand in and fill this void in our homes? And if you think we should, and if we're going to do that, the best way to do that is to model the shepherding of the elders in the church in our homes. First way I think we can do that is to know our families. Seek them out. What does this look like? What does this even mean? And by the way, these first two needs we're going to talk about, the need to be known and the need to be fed, there's a... a, a very real spiritual aspect to this, but there's also a, a physical aspect of this. And I think it's really cool because we see numerous examples in Scripture where God not only actively pursues and meets these needs, but then to, our, our elders are supposed to model this, and our church 
And I think we can do the same thing in our homes. But what does it mean? What does it, what does it mean to know your family? Where do we see this in Scripture? I think we see it in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. I'll read it to you. God's telling the people, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. Right here, God's telling, the, telling Moses to remember, hey, he's actually pointing back to something that we just studied in Genesis. Right? God's telling the people, I know you have an active need to be known. You have an active need to know me. And how I'm going to fix that, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to covenant with you. And in case you forget, I'll, re- I'll remind you and I'll call you back to that. I know that you have a need to be known. I'll seek you out. I will pursue you. You will be known by me. We see this again in the New Testament. In fact, this is one of my favorite passages in John, if you want to turn to it. John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. This is Jesus talking here. And he says this. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Listen to this. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So right here, not only is Jesus saying, hey, I know you, but the depth in which I know you, the depth in which you are going to be close to me because I'm drawing you in is the exact same as how I know the Father. And in case you forgot, they coexist for all eternity and always will. God actively knows, is well aware of our need to be known and has gone to great lengths to know us, to draw us in. So what does this look like for our families? How do we know our families? What should we do? Out of all the things we're going to talk about today, this is probably the easiest one, really. I mean, because all it really requires is just a little bit of time, a little bit of effort. And even though it's easy, um, unfortunately, I don't have my phone with me, but unfortunately, this is often one that we overlook because we're glued to our phones, right? We waste time. We miss out on opportunity. It's probably not a bad question to ask, hey, does your, do your kids know you? Sometimes you'll find out, even in the most inopportune time. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, we had K-Camp. By the way, that was awesome. Thank you to everyone who served. Um, and if you haven't seen the video of Jared Shepard bouncing down that slide, <laughs> look that up. Make your day. But seriously, it was a great time. We were here. One of Sarah's group leaders was laughing and so excited. She came up to tell me about the story, and she said, Hey, you are not going to believe what Sarah said about you. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's no time. (laughs) My heart's sinking. I'm like, it could be a lot of different things, man. So she's like, hey, everybody was upstairs, and it wasn't just the guys and the girls. I mean, just the girls. It was everybody. Room gets quiet. Sarah says, hey, guys, y'all want to know what my dad calls old ladies? (laughs) And so, of course... Of course, the kids are like, yes, Sarah, we want to know what they call. And so Beth's probably thinking, what in the world? I know what's coming next because I know what she's, she, and this is all she said. She's like, my dad calls old ladies a bunch of old cows. And so Beth's like, what in the world? And I'm like, unfortunately, that is 100% factually correct. <laughs> Uh, just a little bit of context uh, that she failed to mention. This did happen. I was four years old. Okay. My dad was on a, um, a senior adult trip. He was leading them. I hadn't started school yet. So I tagged along. I was sitting in the front seat of an old school church van, spilled some water on the shorts. The only way to get them dry, crank down the window, hang the shorts out, roll them back up. 
I was wearing Batman underwear at the time, okay? <laughs> All the old ladies thought it was so funny to keep singing the song. na 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 batman right? It was really funny at first. I was even shaking it for him. But, but after, like, after like the 15th time, I'm like, this isn't funny anymore, okay? So I turn around, and I'm frowning. And one of the old ladies, she looks at me, and she would still tell this story years when I would go back and visit. She would say, Jonathan, what are you looking at? I'm like, I'm not looking at nothing but a bunch of old cows, you know? So, yes, that's true. I did say that. There's a little more context. But what's funny is I was thinking about it. Even though it was kind of embarrassing that she told that, what's really cool in her telling that story is in that moment when she has everybody's attention, all she's really saying is, hey, even though my dad's weird and kind of crazy, I want you to know that I know him. I know him. And it doesn't matter whether she's seven or we get through the preteen rolling eyes stage or the teenage, hey, I'm ready to go do my own thing stage, your kids will never, ever, ever stop needing to know you. Men, do your, do your kids know you? But your families don't just need to be known by you. They need to be fed by you. And again, just like knowing, there's obviously a physical component to this, as well as a spiritual component. God addresses the the physical component over and over and over in the New Testament. In fact, he often refers to us as sheep, refers to himself as the shepherd, which is really interesting in case you've never thought about this. Um, The sheep might be the most helpless of all creatures that God ever made. Anything they need to live and survive, the shepherd has to do for them. Basic needs, food, water, shelter. And God is saying over and over, hey, I'm providing this for you. I care for you in this way. I'll meet your needs in this way. So physical aspect, yes. But it's not just physical, and we know that. We see it in Matthew chapter 4, when we can look at Jesus' temptation. Right? Remember back? Jesus has been in the wilderness. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. And Satan comes to him and he says, Hey, Jesus, why don't you take these stones and turn them into bread? You've got to be hungry. Right? And we know what Jesus said, but I think it's really interesting in what he didn't say. Right? He didn't say to Satan in that moment, actually, you know what, bud? Uh, in case you missed it, I'm the son of God, and I could just tell my stomach to never hunger again. I don't need it. I don't need it. Because the interesting thing is, he might not have eaten bread in that moment, but I can promise you this. He ate again at some point. It was a need. It was, it was a real need. And in fact, his response was this. Hey, it's not just bread that I need. I don't just need a meal to fill my stomach, but so much more than that. What I need so much more than that is for the depths of my soul to be filled with every single word of God. Just as much as I hunger in this moment, I hunger for his closeness, his nearness, and his word. And he was actually pointing back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And it's really cool in this passage, God is reminding the people of their time wandering through the desert. He's telling them, hey, I met your needs. You had manna from heaven. All your needs were met. In fact, you had clothes and shoes. You walked around in the wilderness for 40 years. Your clothes never wore out. Your shoes never wore out. Your stomach was always full. And yet, you know what? That's not all you needed. Because so much more than your physical need, you need me, you need my words, and you will never be filled apart from them. So if that's true, 
And our families need to be fed, not just physically, but spiritually. Dads, what does that look like? How do we do that? You know, I mentioned before, uh, knowing our families, knowing our kids, that might be the easiest one because that just requires a little bit of effort. But if we're being honest, the conversation of trying to feed our families spiritually, this is probably one of the more intimidating ones. And often this is one of the ones that we probably shy away from because we have fears. Uh, I don't know what to say. I don't know where to start. What if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? What if I say something that just sounds real basic? Let me read this to you for some encouragement. This is Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish for that which I purpose. And it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So the question of, hey, how do you speed your, or feed your family spiritually? I would just offer this, dads. If you're doing nothing, do something. If you're doing something, do more. And not rest and trust in your own work, but rest that God is true and He's sovereign and complete control. And just like when it rains in the forest and it produces fruit that no one had to go out and cultivate, the same will be true with His Word. As it's sent out, it will bear fruit. And whatever it is that God has purposed for your families, He will see it through. Not because of us, but because of Him. Practically, what could that look like? Man, if your kids are old enough to text... Dads, wake up early. Pray over your kids. Read Scripture over your kids. And then you know what? Text it to them. Say, hey, this is what I prayed for you. This is God's Word. Think on this. If you still share a meal at a dinner table, take five minutes. Open God's Word. Read through the Psalms. Show them what this roller coaster life looks like of worshiping through peaks and valleys. That's what the whole book is about. They'll learn God's character. They'll learn His love for for us, His mercy, His long-suffering patience for us. If they're little, hey, we give out the Jesus Storybook Bible. Let that be bedtime story. Start somewhere. Do something and trust in the Lord. So we want to know our kids, our families. We want to feed our families. But also we want to lead our families. When I was thinking about this, you know, my brain starts going, uh, leading giving purpose, giving direction. And then I stop and I start thinking of like literal physical directions. Okay? And basically there's two types of people in this world when it comes to directions. Okay? So say you, you ran out of gas and you called me for help. You might say, hey man, uh, I'm on Veterans Memorial Parkway. Uh, I know I'm heading west. I haven't quite made it to McFarland and probably two blocks away. I know exactly where you are. Or if Beth called you and she ran out of gas, she would say, um, I ran out of gas. And you'd say, okay, where are you, Beth? I'm in Tuscaloosa. I know that. Um, okay, a little more. Where are you? Well, let's see. Uh, if I look really far in the front, I think I can see Krispy Kreme. Oh, oh, no, no, no. On my left is Target. Target's on my left. That's, that's where I am. I'm by Target, right? Side note, dads, if you are Target is on the left guy, You're still awesome and we love you, 
but you got to do better than that. <laughs> Seriously. Hit me up after this sermon. We'll, we'll just work on some basics. Northeast, south, and west, you can do it. you got to, okay? But directions are important. Why are they important? We hate to be lost. It's the worst, right? My dad was supposed to be here today. I wanted him to be here today because I was going to tell this story. The most lost I have ever been. I hope we've got these pictures. Yes, okay, stop here. Don't go any further. Okay, the most lost I've ever been was on a uh, We went on a hike with my dad. It was just me and my brothers. It was a Sunday afternoon after church, which, quick side note, he's, he was a Baptist minister. This was probably a bad choice on a Sunday afternoon because the window of time for activities on a Sunday is very small in the Baptist church. Nonetheless, my dad's great idea was to walk these train tracks, okay? It's way out in the middle of nowhere in Monroe County, and that tunnel is called Tunnel Springs. It may be two, two miles long, and my dad said, hey, we're going to walk it. We're going to go through this tunnel, okay? I want to see the front of it. I want to see the end of it. We're going on an adventure. All right, let's do this thing, Dad. So we walk up. As you can see, it's overgrown. It's not in use. We see the tunnel. Next picture, we take a few steps in. All right, now go to the next slide. Okay, this is like five steps in, okay? <laughs> Clearly there's an issue and there's a problem because no one is going in that tunnel. Why? Because it's haunted, all right? <laughs> right now, there are seven demons and four crackheads hanging out in there, and nobody's going in that tunnel. I carry a gun to work every day, and I'm not going in there, okay? Seriously, so, so at this moment, we're at a crossroads moment, Okay? Dad said, we're coming to see the front and the end of the tunnel, but we are not going that way. So his next great plan, that's okay, boys. You know what we're going to do? We're going to take a step back. We're going to climb up this hill, and we're going to journey through the woods to see where the tunnel comes out on the other side, right? Two problems with that. Number one, as you can see, the reason this tunnel's dark is because it's not straight. It curves, okay? The other problem is, we are clearly the only people who have ever tried to do this because once we climb this hill, there's no path. There's no trail that says the end of the tunnel is here. It is just dense, thick woods. All right? so, but again, my dad said, hey, we're going to see the end of the tunnel. Let's keep going. So we press on. I kid you not, at some point we come across a puddle that's easily as big as this stage. Again, we're not turning around. We're pushing through. My oldest brother is a teenager. We go through this water. I kid you not, it's up to his neck. My younger brother hadn't started kindergarten. He's on my dad's shoulders, right? I mentioned I was like seven or eight. Luckily, I was a rather chubby kid, so I was floating at this point, you know? So my dad's just kind of carrying me like a buoy. We make it through. We never, we never see the end of the tunnel. We end up on some road. That's probably where we started. We make a circle. Now, why don't I tell you that story? One, because I love to give him a hard time about it. But two, I think there's a lot of application here because if we had a time machine and you went back in time and you you asked me, seven-year-old me, in the middle of the mud, stuck in the woods, hey, do you trust your dad? Do you trust your dad's guidance, his leadership? Or would you rather have done this on your own? Without question, I would say, yes, I trust my dad. And heck no, I wouldn't do this on my own. Why? Because even though in the moment I was consumed by the puddle and the trees and the forest, and I felt like I was lost. My dad never quit. He never bailed. He was there, and he was consistent. And furthermore, it felt like a big deal to me, but at the end of the day, my dad knew this tunnel's two miles long. 
It runs parallel with the highway we came in on. We're just going to keep walking until we get to the highway. We're going to be fine. Right? And I think the application for us is this as dads. There are going to be moments where we're faced with decisions, and it's going to, the only option is going to be haunted tunnel or traveling through the, the giant puddle, and it's going to look like a lose-lose situation. But here's the thing. Even in those moments, we've got to be consistent. We can't bail. We have to be there. We have to persevere. And the simple truth is this. Even when it seems bleak, if we're setting the tone for our families that whatever we do, whatever we say, wherever we go is rooted in the eternal hope of what Christ has done in our lives, it's okay. We can go through a puddle. We can walk around a haunted tunnel because that is eternal security. That is eternal direction that our families need. So our families need to be known. They need to be fed. They need to be led. And lastly, they need protection. Now this one, I I don't have to spend a whole lot of time talking about the physical component, because if you're a dad in this room, you're probably like welling up, like if somebody tried to hurt my family, I got this, I got them, right? In fact, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, I'm going to admit this, and you're either going to be my new friend, or you're going to think I'm paranoid and I need to talk to a counselor, okay? (laughs) If you go to a restaurant, men, and you're seated, do you only seat yourself where you can see the door? Raise your hand if you do that. Why do you do that, Andrew? Speak it loud. Why do you do that? You can see who's coming in. All right? That wasn't real loud. Try it again. Maybe you can sing it. Like, yeah. That's right. Why? Because, that's right. So Andrew's saying, Andrew sits, and there was a lot of you. You sit where you can see the door so you can see a potential threat. Right? You have this deep need inside of you to protect your families. Hey, if something's coming in the door, I want to see it first. I want to know where cover is. I want to engage the threat. I want to protect my family. Right? And if you're like me, you don't just sit in that chair, but you've played out this whole role of what might happen, what I might do. Right? I'm going to barrel roll over here. Right? <laughs> Play it all out. And what's, what's crazy, I spend so much time, so much mental energy focused on this threat that at this point it's just a maybe. It's just a potential threat. Now, it's good to be prepared, and I won't fault you for that. But the question is, What about spiritual threats for our family? Is that a maybe? Is that a potential? I don't think it is. I don't think Paul thinks that either. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28 and 29. Here Paul is addressing the the elders in, in the church of Ephesus, and this is what he says to them, all right? Pay careful attention to yourselves, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Because here's why. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you and not sparing the flock. So here's the reality I know. The spiritual threats that face our family, we don't have to wonder, is this coming It absolutely is coming, and it's all around. It's ever-present. And sometimes it's not as obvious as a guy walking in with body armor and a gun. Sometimes it's subtle. And I can promise you this, if we're negating these other needs in our families, if we're not actively pursuing to know our families and to know them well, 
if we're not faithful to feed them, to open God's word, to let that be preached in our homes, and if we're not setting the foundation of our, our families to be marked by people of the gospel, we'll never be able to protect our families from spiritual threats. We won't be able to offer that discernment or that wisdom for our families. So at this point, I think we're at a somewhat of a face-the-reality type moment. And before we go any further, if if I could, I want to just step away for just a second. Just a quick side note, because to this point, pretty much everything I've said has been focused to very specific portions uh, of us in here. Just dads, right? But the reality is, all of us in here, we are affected by this conversation of fatherhood. Because even though you may not be a father, you may not ever be a father, you had a father. And unfortunately for some, you didn't have a great father like I did. Unfortunately for some of you, thinking about Father's Day, you're not quick to post a meme of high-fiving your dad at Disney World. But instead, today is tough. feels like a burden feels like a weight around your shoulders. For you, maybe your dad was absent. Maybe he was not emotionally available. Maybe even worse than that, he left. Maybe your dad had an affair and abandoned you and your mom. Maybe your dad abused you. Whether that's physical, verbal, emotional, sexual. Maybe you as a child faced serious neglect because of your dad's addiction to gambling, pornography, substances. And you're left carrying this weight. You're left carrying this burden. And even today, you feel this weight. And not only do you feel this weight, but you probably have this fear that, am I doomed to repeat this? And so my message for you is remember the gospel. For those of you who are in Christ... You don't have to feel the weight and the burden of your dad's past sins because in Christ you have been made new. You have a new name, a new family, and a perfect eternal inheritance. And you are not doomed to repeat your father's sins because you have been made new. And while we're talking about identity and newness, we can shift back to the conversation about dads. Because if, if we said, hey, you know what, it's a good idea for us to model shepherding our homes the way we shepherd the church and we looked at all the ways that needs to happen. If you're like me, you read that list and you thought, whew, I'm not doing that at all. I rarely do that. Not very good at that. And so, lest you think I was a liar when I said I wanted to celebrate today and not make you feel condemned, there is a reason to celebrate Because if anything else, when I think about my shortcomings, when I see my inadequacies, when I see my inconsistencies, I have to come back to the gospel hope, which in the truth, and we've already talked about it today, that even in my failures and my weakness, I remember the gospel that I'm not only made new before God in terms of salvation, but that seeps into every single aspect of my life, including fatherhood. And what a perfect moment to worship through that personally and then show my family. This is what 
It means to worship through the gospel in our weakness. That's reason to celebrate. So men, band, you can come on back up. So men, we'll, we'll finish where we started. If you agree with me that fatherhood is a blessing and it's a deep and a heavy call, and we would best fill these roles by modeling the shepherding of the church by the elders and shepherding in our homes, then I'll just leave you with this where we started. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong and let all that you do be done in love. Pray with me, church. Let's continue worship. God, thank you for today. Thank you for all that you are for us and all that you have done for us through Jesus. God, I thank you for the men that you have brought to this church. I thank you that so many already feel this weight and have a desire to honor you through fatherhood. I pray that in it, nothing else, Jesus will be lifted high. Their families will be blessed because of it, and your great name will be honored. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.